letting your kids be bored. Yes. The number of times my kids have gone on some magical quest because they just didn't know what else to do. And I wasn't like providing entertainment for them. It, it does create imaginative play. So I think that's important. As for participating in that imaginative play, I am an actor and I don't really love imaginative play. <laughs> it's not structured enough for me. I'm like, I've had no rehearsal. There's no director. <laughs> I just feel like a fool. And I also think there's a little element of that being okay. You know, like, yeah. I think it's okay to know that about yourself, push yourself when you can, and also not be afraid to, you know, say, let's do Legos. Welcome to Raising Adults, the groundbreaking parenting podcast that starts with the end in mind. We're your co-hosts, Dina Thayer and Kira Dorian. We created future-focused parenting to take families from surviving to thriving. So join us as we help you stop raising kids and start raising adults. Today's episode of Raising Adults is brought to you by the popular podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Are you looking for great book recommendations and all things literary? Then check out Zibby Owens. Zibby hosts an award-winning podcast called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, with new episodes dropping seven days a week, featuring interviews with amazing guests like Chelsea Clinton, Alicia Keys, Natalie Portman, and more. The podcast has been an Oprah Best Book podcast two years in a row, and Zibby Owens is New York City's most important bookfluencer, according to Vulture. Follow Zibby over on Instagram, she's at Zibby Owens, and download her chart-topping podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite listening platform. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Raising Adults. Thank you so much for being with us today. If you are new to the show, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. I'm Kira in the laundry room, and Dina, you're over there in your coat closet, Yils. Yes, I sure am. Getting the, <laughs> Doing it good, getting it cozy in here. I'm super used to it. And I have to just say, before we dive in, I'm excited about today because we get to touch on like lots of different things, which I think will be really fun. But I've been faithful to do this so far throughout the year. So I wanted to let people in on what my April resolution is, mm -hmm. since I'm just doing one a month for 2021. Okay. And this one's kind of vulnerable, but I'm wondering if perhaps other people out there have struggled with this. So I have noticed that while I don't push him away or do anything rude, sometimes I'm not as receptive to affection from my spouse as I wish I was. Mm. I don't I don't always lean into it. Or if I'm busy, I'm like, I don't have time for this long hug. You know, and that's what I'm kind of <laughs> that's what I'm kind of thinking. Yeah. And so for April, my goal is to lean into affection from Scott Aww. to really just em enjoy it, savor it, cherish it, not be thinking about, okay, if this goes on much longer. I'll be not getting this drawer organized or whatever it is. I mean, it sounds really silly when I say it out loud, but it is really something I've noticed where, no, that's where I'll just silly. kind of stiffen or, again, I'm not doing something overt, but I feel that I'm not also really being receptive and welcoming. Does Scott do this thing that Dave does? Dave loves his favorite time to hug me. <laughs> like ever is when I'm like juggling dinner and like frantically <laughs> with all the spoons and chopping and, and he thinks this is the perfect time to come over and give me a long hug. <laughs> 
You know, I have not had that as experience, but probably it's just because I don't cook as much, oh, right. which is also like outing myself, right? But he will do like the come up behind me, you know, put his arms around me, like while I'm doing dishes and things like that. And I'm like, I need my arms, you I know? know. Just, so I, what I do get it. Yeah. But yeah. I'm just, I just want to spend this month really making time for that because the truth is it really isn't that long, even if it's a long hug. No. I can make space for that and I just no. need to do better. So Yeah. I I I do really relate though. Okay. I'm glad I'm not alone. Like, I love all the affection and, and normally I don't resist, but when I'm when I'm doing the chopping and the stirring and the you know the timing <laughs> of all the different things yeah. and he thinks like, you know what? You've never looked more beautiful. Let me hug you for a long, long time. <laughs> That's when I'm like, this is not an ideal moment right? to hug me. 100%. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, that's a good April goal. How did um, meal planning March go? Actually, pretty well. We we got a little derailed, which I guess I'm just going to out myself now, but we got COVID. <laughs> so we, we got derailed for a few weeks while we were quarantining. Um, but it was it actually still went okay. In a way, I had more space for it because we just really weren't very sick. Like it was very mild for us. And it just gave me space to write out what we were going to eat for the week. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. We also discovered DoorDash during that time. (laughs) I mean, that was a thing, but actually it was so interesting. You know, Scott listens to the podcast, but I think the episode that talked about my March resolution wasn't until about Mm mid-March. And he listened to it and said, you know, I want you to know that actually was noticeable even before I heard you say it on the podcast. So that's a big deal to me if I make a change that's noticeable to him where he can see me making that effort. So I think it actually went okay. Will I keep doing it forever? I don't know. I don't hold high hopes, but (laughs) it, it does show me it's doable at least in short spurts. Yes. Well, let's hope that he also notices your April resolution. <laughs> yes. Oh, for a hundred percent. I really hope so. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, lovely listeners, FFPs, our future focused parents, we are doing what Dina calls a, what was it? A parenting, parenting po- potpourri. potpourri. <laughs> my favorite part of working with you is all the lovely like word nerd stuff. It's totally, so, I do so like it. I do like alliteration. So this is great alliteration. So we've got a parenting potpourri for you today. So we put out on social media, you know, what do you guys want to hear about? What questions do you have? And, you know, we get listener questions um, via email a lot of the time. And so today we just picked a few different things that we felt like we had thoughts on, but maybe not 30 minutes worth of thoughts. Um, And so we're going to just answer your questions today and and talk about a whole different range of stuff. It's going to be fun. So what's Question number one. What's the first topic, Dina? Well, I, even though this, who knows, I don't know which number this came in, but I feel like we should talk about it first because it it's about one of our foundational pillars of the okay. FFP philosophy. So we got a question about linking your why to your values. How could you maybe look at your values to find your why? How would you do the opposite? How do we link those? And we talk about this a lot, but I think this is a fair question because we've done a whole episode on why and a whole episode on values, but maybe that link could be harder to draw if you've Mm -hmm. heard those independently and haven't tied that in. Yeah. I feel like if you've been to one of our speaking presentations, this link comes up more regularly than it has on the show. So I'm glad. I'm glad that somebody asked this. It's a great question. So do we want to start with just kind of a quick, like, how do you figure out your why? How do you figure out your values and then make the link? Or do you want to just dive into the link? I'm unattached either way, (laughs) whatever you think is best. I do think since there's a whole episode on each, you could listen to those for reference. But 
up to you, Kira. Yeah, we can put those in the show notes. All right. Oh, well, lovely. Let's, let's use the umbrella analogy. Because, I love this one. Yeah. Okay. So we have this graphic. I'm trying to think. Well, if you are a subscriber <laughs> to our newsletter, you've seen this graphic probably. But we have this graphic and it's um, this beautiful umbrella that our amazing designer, Noah Bell, from Bellboy Creative, just shouting out to Noah, um, designed for us. And if you imagine an umbrella and then like at the bottom of the umbrella, like all the little pointy parts before the handle at the bottom of the umbrella. So it's like your why is at the top of the umbrella and then the little raindrops that fall off of the pointy bits of the umbrella are your little whys and those are really your values, right? So the overarching why, the thing that you're aiming at. So for me, I'm aiming at, you know, mentally healthy and happy children. For Dina, she's aiming at, you know, kids of integrity, kids of character. That's the big why. And then those little raindrops are are kind of how you get there. They're the steps. So then you would look at okay, if my why is mentally healthy and happy, what are the character traits? What are the steps to help my kids grow into adults that are mentally happy and healthy? Well, my kids are going to need really good empathy skills. So like one of our big family values is empathy, because the more that they understand the people around them, the better they're going to be able to connect. They're going to have better relationships. They're going to be able to understand themselves a lot better. And so in the moments where there's struggle or conflict, whether it's internally or externally, they're going to be able to navigate that in a way that's mentally healthy and happy. And so kind of lining up, what are the, the little baby steps that if I foster all these character traits, they come together to create that overarching why. That's kind of my perspective. What, what do you think? What she said. It's beautiful. What she said. It's a beautiful link. <laughs> no, it is. It's really a beautiful link. And I also think when we were creating our family values list, I was looking at, do these things lead to a person of character? Are they traits a person of character would possess? So I was able to kind of link to that. And your example is great too. When you're thinking about a person who's mentally healthy and happy, they're a person who can demonstrate and utilize empathy effectively. So I think you can use your big why, your little word or phrase in terms of what you're aiming at to figure out what your values are. And the other nice thing is, as you're looking at your list of values, you can make sure, do these lead to that why? Yeah. And then you have a beautiful link there. But that was a really fair question because... Yeah, really unless important. I would agree, I think unless they've been to a live or virtual speaking engagement where we link those a little more clearly, if you just listen to those episodes, that might not have been 100% clarified. Yeah. So that's a great question. Hopefully, hopefully that helps. So the, the cross checking piece that Dina mentioned is really important. So you can kind of start with your big why, figure out what are the steps to get to that big why, and then look at the steps and go, does that lead back to that yes. big why? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Awesome. Okay, so here's another one. We had someone ask about playing without toys. And I do have some thoughts about this. I mean, first of all, can I just be honest? I think it's fantastic. And I think anyone who's had children notices that at least once or twice, your child ignores the toy that came in the box and plays with the box. Man. So I think children have a natural inclination to be creative and to use their imaginations and that they don't always need a toy to do that. So I think playing without toys is great. I also will admit as a parent, it was the most terrifying thing to me when my child would just say, will you come play with me? And oh. there was no 
yeah. Lego set or puzzle. I was like, what are we playing? <laughs> and Am I going to have to be a character? Right? <laughs> and anyone who knows me and has listened to this show for any length of time will totally get that. When you're type A and structured, you're like, you mean just play? Use my imagination. imagination? <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's just literally terrifying to me. But here's what I will say. I think... If this is of interest to you, if you want kids who are creative and use their imaginations and aren't relying on a toy to entertain them, I think it's okay and, in fact, important to ask for that. So I know you've done something similar, Kira, but for us, one of the things we did is we we put some parameters on birthday gifts. And so we were really clear about what we were interested in. You know, I wanted my children to build with blocks and look at a book and use their imagination. And so we actually said, please refrain from bringing toys that light up or make noises to this party. <laughs> and, you know, part of that was also just the overstimulation. We're seeing kids' attention spans shrink drastically over time. The more we introduce screens and technology, they're so used to images just flitting by really quickly. So that was part of it for me, wanting them to build those attention span skills, be able to stick with a task, even when it's challenging, like building blocks, for example, building a tower, and then it falls down. That's frustrating. Do you try again? So I do think parents can kind of ask for this to lay a foundation if you want your home to look differently in terms of toys. And I think you did something similar or maybe even asked for no gifts at first, but you'll have to remind me. Yeah, we had no gifts until their sixth birthday. Okay. Um, we just explained, like, we have everything we need. And yeah. please, please don't bring a gift if you'd like to donate to this, that, or the other. Um, but oftentimes we just said no gifts. And then we do really push for experiences as yes. best we can. Um, and I think that's a great way, you know, to foster kids' imaginations. I can't tell you the number of times my kids and I have gone on some experience and then they come home and they like act it all out again in their mm. own way. So I think that experiences can be really great. And just like you said, don't be afraid to limit what's in your house. Kids don't need a, a room full of toys. They don't. And what's amazing is I think even in the most conscious homes like yours, like mine, it is amazing how quickly the collection grows mm -hmm. over time. So I think starting super small, keeping it as small as possible for as long as possible is is really, really important. And then the only other thing I would add is the boredom piece, letting your kids be bored. Yes. The number of times my kids have gone on some magical quest because they just didn't know what else to do. And I wasn't like providing entertainment for them. It, it does create imaginative play. So I think that's important. As for participating in that imaginative play, I am an actor and I don't really love imaginative play. <laughs> it's not structured enough for me. I'm like, I've had no rehearsal, there's no director. <laughs> I just feel like a fool. And I also think there's a little element of that being okay. You know, like yeah. I think it's okay to know that about yourself, push yourself when you can, and also not be afraid to, you know, say let's do Legos or let's, you know, like not be afraid to bust out the toy with them if you need to, to be able to engage in a way that feels good and feels comfortable for you. I've also found accents help a lot. 
Mm. Like just doing a silly accent sometimes is enough for my kids to feel like we're in a different place in a different world. And, you know, no one's listening. So just whatever, whatever you want to do, you know, Mm -hmm. just just I often do like a silly upper class British accent with them and I'll serve their dinner, you know, oh, would you like your tea? You know, can I bring you another plate? And, you know, all of that. (laughs) And and that just feels for them fun and different and and kind of fills that hole, even though it's not the same as like me going on some big adventure with them in imaginative play. I love it. Hey, Raising Adults listeners and future-focused parents, our valuable FFPs, we just wanted to talk to you for a moment about our membership program. And we love having our listeners join membership and just really join the FFP family. We love having you be a part of this in a more involved way. And so we just want to highlight the three levels of membership. The first is only $5 a month, literally the cost of a nice cup of coffee. And it's really just your way of kind of giving us a tip, like you would tip your barista or your server. If the podcast content has been helpful to you and you would like to just say a thank you, it's just $5 a month, super accessible. And it does get you some things. Don't worry. You're not just giving us a tip and not getting anything. It makes you eligible for on-air coaching calls. You get that calendar of character traits that we've talked so much about and can really help you build your family's value list. You also get half off all digital resources. And we'll, of course, shout you out on the podcast. If you'd like to go up a level at the $10 a month level, you get all the things I just described, but you also have access to future focused in five, which is an amazing video and audio library of quick, short, accessible parenting topics. We cover a topic and give you some strategic tips in five minutes or less, and you can access those by video, but we know your podcast listeners. So if you prefer to listen, there's an audio version as well. And in that final tier, which is $20 a month, you get access to us. You get a monthly call with Q&A with Dina and I to ask any parenting questions that have come up that month. You get to connect with other FFPs in a private Facebook group, and you get access to all of our online content, all of our digital resources totally for free. So if you've been interested in any of those, this is a great way to get in. So do check out all the different membership tiers that are available to you. We'd love to have you be a part of the FFP family. You can join us by going to futurefocusedparenting.com and click on the membership tab. We really hope you'll join us soon. So here's a hot tip. I'm going to actually share in case you're like me and imaginative play or unstructured play is a little more difficult for you. I'm going to share something I used. I'm going to out myself. I really believe in having a posture of yes with my children. I want to be that voice that's like, sure, I'll play. Sure. And of course, sometimes we have to say no and they, and they need to learn that too. But I wanted this posture of yes. And yet this type of play is difficult for me. So if I noticed that I was getting repeatedly asked to just, will you play with me? And was having that internal like, oh no, I don't even know the rules. Then what I would do is I would notice what was coming up. Oh, you know what? I have 30 minutes until I need to start cooking dinner. I'm going to go offer <laughs> to play that thing they've been asking about, but I knew I had a window. And so it it let me know there was a light at the end of the tunnel of the imagination because imagination is hard for Dean. The imagination tunnel. <laughs> yes. The imagination tunnel had a destination, there we go. but it also offered them this chance of like, hey, I want to enter into this thing that you've been excited about. But I need you to know I have to start prepping supper in half an hour. So, you know, I I could prep them for that. They got a heads up that I only had this long. I knew I only had to do it for that long. 
but they also still heard the yes, which was important to me. Mm, I love so that. That's my little sneaky sweet. trick. That's so smart, though, because they get their needs met and you kind of give yourself some structure. I think yes. that's brilliant. Because that rules thing is hard. I mean, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but sometimes my kids spent so much time just figuring out the rules or changing them. We weren't even playing. And I'm like, are we going to actually start <laughs> this adventure? <laughs> uh, so. Okay, oh my I'm I'm all done with my no, bemoaning the difficulties of imagination for me. It as is. I think it's person. hard for a lot of parents because we've crossed over. We're not free like we were as children. It's really sad, right? And our kids are going to do it too. And we we move into a more self conscious state of being, and and it is I think hard for a lot of parents to to do that. I will share a game that my best friend Sandra came up with when my oh. kids were small. It was okay, amazing. So we had like fake food, you know, like peas and potatoes yeah. and whatever. And so she came up with this game where we would sit in in bed so that we didn't have to move and we would hide the potato and the peas and whatever under the blanket. And then the kids would go on a journey to find the emerald peas and the golden potato. And then they'd find it and we'd be like, you found the emerald peas. And we'd make a big deal out of it. And it was brilliant because we just lay in bed. We didn't have to do anything. <laughs> but the kids were so inspired by the golden potato and, you know, the, the magic of it all and having to hunt for it. And it was, it was so imaginative for them and required very little of us, which was another great tip parents yeah pretty awesome so Love there it. we go all right there's just two left we're clipping right along okay so somebody asked and i love this question about how do we help teach our children to lose with grace mm. because whether it's a simple little board game or whether it's life as we know it we are going to lose sometimes or find ourselves on the not great end of a situation and we have to be able to do that with grace but that's not always the natural inclination, especially for children. So I love this question. And this actually was a thing in our house. I mean, we have a child who will remain nameless that would <laughs> stomp off after even losing a board game and wail and flail. So I am going to take a page out of Kira's book. I'm going to give two little tidbits and then I'll let her talk. But my first one is definitely out of the Kira book. I think this is when it becomes so important to separate feelings and behavior yeah. because for this child, it, it was so important to acknowledge that is so disappointing when we lose. Like that had to be validated. Otherwise, it felt like we were kind of sweeping their emotions just under the rug. Mm -hmm. And not acknowledging that part. At the same time, it is okay to say, but in our house, we don't stomp off or flip the board. Or, you know, we had to pull those two apart. So I think that is really important. And then the second thing that I'll say is there has to be practice because sometimes in the real, the truth is we care more when it's really happening. So we did some rehearsal around this too, playing a game, pretending to lose, or we would even say, we're going to play for real, but let's just know this one doesn't count. So that whoever won, lost, et cetera, got to practice without feeling like the stakes were high. Because that's another thing to kids, even a board game, the stakes feel high. Yeah. And we have to be aware of that and honor that. So we did actually practice. What do you say to a winner? How do you do how do you lose graciously and be able to say congratulations, good game and things like that? Because that translates even later into other activities or sports. But learning it at home is the safest place. We can practice and mess up and know everybody still loves us. So I'm all for 
rehearsal and getting a little chance to practice even those polite phrases. And the other thing for us with those phrases is it's also okay to say, I'm really bummed that I lost. Mm -hmm. And that's important. That's okay. But I did I did rip a little page out of the Kira book because I think separating the feelings and behavior is extra important if you have a person who's a stomper and a flailer. Well, yeah, because honestly, like, I don't like losing games. I stomp and flail on the inside. You oh, know, yeah. it's kind of like what Laura was talking about last week, where that's very real. Those feelings are very real. And, and many adults, myself and David included, <laughs> struggle with that. Yeah, I'm super competitive. Right. I relate to that. So, you know, it's like, okay, yes, we don't stomp and flail because we've learned to control it. And ultimately, we probably need to teach our kids to do that too. But validating what they're feeling is completely reasonable. It does stink to lose game. I don't like it either. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, what you said, I think that's exactly right. And I think um, one of the things we did, because we have a kiddo who really doesn't like games where you win or lose, where there's a winner or loser. Mm. I don't think entirely because they want to win. They just don't love it. They just don't love, they don't like competitive sports. They don't, mm -hmm. they just don't love the idea that someone's going to feel elated and someone's going to feel like poop. And they don't want to be responsible for making someone else feel bad. And I mean, yeah. it's just all very complicated. So we actually did a lot of collaborative games and we still do. And those are great because you know, you're working as a team, you're teaching that teamwork, you're teaching critical thinking, you're teaching, you know, sometimes you have to go with what someone else on your team wants, and that means you're going to lose. And sometimes you, you're going to have to assert yourself and say, no, I really think what I want to do makes the most sense, and you're going to lose. And so it teaches a lot of great gaming skills, but without the like winner loser, so that not every game you're playing has a winner and a loser. Like you still need to play those games because they absolutely have to learn how to lose graciously. But I think throwing in good collaborative games, there's a whole, what's the company? There's a company that like only makes collaborative games and they mm. have like Hoot Owl Hoot and they have like the mermaid game and the fairy princess and they're all collaborative for kids and it's amazing because you work as a team and you lose as a team or you win as a team um so you're still kind of teaching those skills but in this much more gentle way that is awesome i love that yeah those are good and you know what collaborative what? games make really good birthday gifts so mm. you could be like please don't buy any toys but we would love a collaborative yes game. see what back I did to there? our earlier question <laughs> And, you know, a game isn't the same as a toy, friends. No, no. Games are welcome. Games and books, it was like yes. unlimited in our household. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. That's that's different because you are you are using your noodle for those and having to think and be creative and be imaginative, which yep. I love. Also, audiobooks, mm -hmm. awesome gifts to ask for, like, um, or, you know, a an audible yeah. gift card or something like that because those are amazing. Kids love those. And, and, and for travel. Mm -hmm, Incredible. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, totally. Great way to pass the time. Okay, so this last question is admittedly for you, so I'll ask it, and then you can give your thoughts. I love this question. We do have a large segment of our audience that have younger kids, babies, toddlers, and into those preschool years, and we've talked a lot on the show about emotional intelligence and what that looks like, and the question this listener raised was, how would you translate that or bring that down to this kind of toddler level? What tweaks might you make to the 3N framework, for instance, or things like that? So take it away, Kira. Yeah. I mean, I think if we're thinking like under age two, even 18 months, it's really not going to look that different. You just have to change your expectations. So you're 
thinking of that time period as like laying the foundation for them to understand what you mean when they get old enough to understand what you're saying. So um, you'll embed that stuff a lot faster if you've been doing it from the beginning. So even with a baby, you know, once you figure out their cries, which so often parents can, they understand if a kid's hungry or if they're sad or if they're overstimulated name it, <laughs> normalize it, <laughs> nurture mm-hmm. it. Like it's it's still the same, right? So if you can tell that your, you know, nine month old is frustrated because they're trying to crawl, it's okay to say, wow, I can tell you're really frustrated. That makes sense to me. It's hard to learn to crawl. Now, are they going to understand what you're saying? No. But what's going to happen is you're embedding that pattern. And once they understand the word frustrated, you know, once they understand some of these just words that are going to come into their vocabulary, they'll understand them on this deeper level because you've been doing it the whole time. The other thing I love about starting this stuff so early and why I love this question is I actually really believe that like the first 18 months of your child's life is your opportunity to learn the new language of emotional intelligence without a host of consequences. So you get to just make mistakes and go, oh, I missed an opportunity to do three ends there. Cool. I'll make sure I do it next time. And the ramifications aren't as big because they're really not properly understanding you yet. So treating it like your own, you know, crash course in this language and being able to be forgiving of yourself and and trip and fall and go, oh, gosh, I didn't handle that as well as I'd like to mental note for next time. It sets you up for success in those toddler years. You're not then learning the language while you're also doing the thing. It's what some people might call proactive parenting, <laughs> Dina. They they might. You know, but what you're doing is setting yourself up for success so that in those moments, you've spent the past 18 months figuring out how to say that, how to do that. So then when the crazy weird crisis happens at Gymboree, because this happened to me, and you've got to be like on the fly figuring out, okay, how am I going to navigate my kid's feelings and the other kid in this situation's feelings and the other parent, and all these things are flying your mouth knows what to do. Your brain has processed the words to say, and it comes out that much more easily. So it's not that different than the rehearsing that you talked about a minute ago um, with losing, you know, graciously. It's not that different than the rehearsal we talk about for like Halloween, right? You got to mm-hmm. practice it. Well, that's your rehearsal. Those first 18 months, those are, that's your rehearsal. And then opening night is is when they hit that toddler phase and, and you go out and, and really start to hone the EI skills for them. I love that. That's such a win-win because you're laying a foundation for your child. They've at least, regardless of how well they understood it when they were tiny, they've at least heard this vocabulary before and they're going to now get a chance to flex their own muscle and use it. But you're also, like you said, it's it's you getting to practice as a parent. You get to set the stage for then you're ready to go when you're confronted with an actual scenario that merits walking through that framework. So yeah, I love and, that. And the forgiveness piece is huge. Like parents, don't expect yourself to know what to do right out the gate. You know, we a lot of us weren't raised this way. And it all sounds great when you've read the books or listened to the show or whatever it is. And then putting it into practice and getting your brain to catch up and put it out, out of your mouth, I mean, that's just not going to happen overnight. So it's also this period of time where you can be super forgiving of yourself and go, oh, yeah, that may- you can normal, you can do your three ends for you, right? Like, yes. oh, I messed that up. That makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't, this is a new language for me. I'm learning, right. you know. Well, listeners and our social media followers and our members and all of you future focused parents out there, thank you for this. It really 
is important to us that we honor what we said, which is when we get questions or we get thoughts about, hey, we'd love to hear you talk about this on the podcast as much as possible. We're going to do that. So that's kind of what today was about. So thanks for sticking in for a little parenting potpourri, get a little sample of this and a taste of that. And I'm sure we will do something like this again at some point. And we even have a few other episode ideas that came from you all that we haven't got to yet. So we'll get to those. But thanks for doing that because it really does help us to think about, oh, yeah, you know, you're right. We haven't touched on this or we haven't covered that in this exact way. So thanks for making us aware of those so that we can help you in your parenting journey and have this actually really be a beneficial podcast for you. That's the point. We're here to help and serve. And so hearing what you need and being able to address it is great for us too. Yeah. So thanks for being with us today and do join us again next week. If you have not yet followed us on social media, we are at Future Focused Parenting on both Facebook and Instagram. And we would love to connect with you there. Have an awesome week, FFPs. Raising Adults is produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer and recorded partially in my laundry room and partially in Dina's coat closet. Music by Seattle band Hannah Lee. Editing by Allison Preisinger. Thanks for listening.